What up, everybody? I'm Mena Diaz. And I'm Candy Marie, and we want to welcome you to the Moving Up Together podcast. And it's that time of year again, Candy Marie. School is back in session. And across the country, millions of kiddos are either already back in school or they're getting ready to go back into the classrooms. Yes, that's right. And the focus of today's episode isn't just on students. We're introducing you to two incredible teachers who are making a difference in their classrooms. And they're paving the way for a brighter future for their students, all while working with limited resources. Educators, administrators, and parents have all sounded the alarm for years that schools need to be invested in more and students need more resources to thrive. It's time for that to change. So for today's lesson, boys and girls, we're going beyond the textbooks <laughs> because as you'll hear, sometimes our lived experiences are more valuable to students than what they have in the curriculum. Exactly. With us today to talk more about this are Laricia Robinson and Bunlan Suth. Larisha is a mom of two and a preschool teacher living in Oakland. And Bunlan is a mom of five who also lives in Oakland. She works as a paraspecialist educator. We want to thank you both for joining us today. How y'all doing? Good. How are you all? How are you? Good. Thank you. <laughs> excited to have some West Coasters on with us today. <laughs> I know, right? We usually have all the East Coasters or Midwest, so you guys are joining the party. Which I'm sure they will, Mena. You know, um, it's always a pleasure to have the leaders and the doers of our education system. You know, I don't think that our teachers get enough credit, but we're going to we're gonna make sure we shine a light on you ladies today. Um, and speaking of which, we gave you both a brief introduction, and now we're going to dive a little deeper into your stories. But what I want to know is what's one fun fact people should know about you? I am actually um, a very down-to-earth, outgoing, and fun person when I am out and about, when I get to have my me time away from out of the mom mode. And work mode, I am just full of fun. <laughs> I kind of feel that in your voice, though. <laughs> the whole energy, right? <laughs> I'm loving it. Thank you. Fun fact about me is I love to go on travel adventures. I love to go different places. If I'm sitting too long, I'm like, nope, it's time to travel. It's time to change the climate. So um, I'm a traveler, and I love different travel adventures. Really? So, so Mena, this is our go-to if we need to find the spots, all the hot spots or places to go to. Like, what, what's what's one place that you're like, oh, my God, this place was so amazing. We had such a great time. What's the first place that comes to mind? First place is the most recent trip. Uh, well, it was like in December, but I went to Cabo. And uh, it was the resort that I stayed at that did it for me. You know, it had the food. It had just the exclusiveness the the excellent service and it was just i'm like yeah that was the spot for me so if y'all want to know the resort i'll tell y'all after but yeah it, it was amazing because lord knows i need a vacation <laughs> yes ladies when you're not traveling you guys are all both based in oakland can you guys tell us something that's special about your city that, um when it comes to raising your kids there and your families me personally, I am not originally from um, from Oakland. I am originally from Orange County. Um, I moved up to Oakland in 1998. Um, I would say it's been a very good experience as far as living. Maybe that's the reason why I'm still here. 
Um, but as you know, of Oakland, you know, it has its ups and downs as in, in every city, every state. So, um, but so far I haven't really had the worst experience when it comes to living here yet. Um, although there's a lot, you know, goes on here. Um, but other than that, what I love about Oakland is the, like, you know, a lot of things can happen, but at the same time, you know, when the community need to come together, they come together and they pull as one and it doesn't matter what race you are, you know, um, they still manage to, you know, um, welcome everybody with open arms. And I think that's what I love about Oakland is like the worst can be, the worst can be the worst, but then at, at the same time, you know, they can, we all can come together and unite as one. So that's, I've seen that happen. So it's, that's what I love about it. Uh, for me, like just being born and raised here, um, and raising my kids here, it's, um, great to show them different landmarks and like, you know, things are always evolving and changing and there's new developments. So it's always cool to say, Oh, that park used to be a gas station or, you know, like this store used to be a school. So, and they always look at me like, Okay, mom, like that was a thousand ago. They think I'm a dinosaur, but yeah, it's cool <laughs> to show them places that I used to go to, you know, where I grew up at. And um, yeah, and they get to experience some of that as well. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I think it's so cool, man. Like you said, just being able to take your kids because they need to know that mama had a life too outside of you. Exactly. I love that. I think that's, I, and I think I was just sharing before we started recording something very similar. You know, I went back to to the house that my father was born in, and it's just so many things I'm like that I didn't know about him. But when you, it's like you get to, it's like you get to experience a piece of them. You know, just like your kids get to experience a piece of you when you share those memories, you know, and that history with them, mm-hmm. right? And it's important. I know for me, uh, I always like to ask when I meet people that are teachers. I always like to ask. Why did you become a teacher? I'm really big on like the why. What was the thing for you that really spoke to you and and that said, okay, this is what I want to do? I always wanted to work with kids. So when I was five years old, I wanted to be a pediatrician. And then like my grandfather said, well, you know, like it comes a lot of blood. And, you know, when you go to med school and all those things, so I quickly was like, okay, no, I don't want to see blood. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So I still had the love for kids. And I remember... Um, when I was in kindergarten, just like how my teacher was, and I don't remember my experience in preschool, but I just remember the impact that my kindergarten teacher had on me. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, like, I feel like I could work with kids. And then as I got older, I just built that love, you know? And, um, yeah. So as far as I can remember five years old, having that conversation, like, okay, well, I want to be a pediatrician. Let me shift. And just having my teacher, uh, my kindergarten teacher, just really making an impact on my life. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have to ask, what what do you feel uh, is your superpower when it comes to your students? You know, what when they when they think about you and the influence that you have on them, you know, uh, what should, what do you think your superpower is? I think my superpower is just being me. Um, they love me, you know, like they think I'm super cool. Uh, they always compliment me on how I dress, how I look, um, and just me being really genuine, you know, and not like having to put on the front or, um, you know, extra or less. Like I just come in as myself and they really love that and appreciate it. So I would say that's my superpower, just being myself. They're like your little cheerleaders. I love it. 
Yeah, they are. They are. <laughs> they are. I love that. That relatability is important. You know, it's yes. important. You plant those seeds in the hearts and minds of our future generation. So we yes. appreciate that. Thank you. And Bunlan, you have you have a specialty where we don't discuss this enough. I think in education, you're a you're a paraspecialist. Could you tell us what that is and and what that experience is like for you? Well, what it is is um, you know you work with kid um, that is that have challenge um, learning disability as far as kids that has autism, um, ADHD, and just um, where they just have a hard time you know um, picking up on things on certain subjects. So um, those are mainly the type of kids I work with and focus on. Um, and um, as far as how I got into that is, it was kind of like, well, to, if I ever thought becoming a teacher, yes. But that didn't happen until, um, I actually, I believe my senior, uh, my, 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 it was my junior year. I, that was when my history, with my history teacher. Because she was just so loving and caring and like, and she, and I saw, you know, how she made a difference on kids that were struggling, you know, with home life and her, you know, um, school personal. And she was just like, um, super amazing. And I was just like, wow, I think, I, I think that's what I want to do. Um, so right after high school, I did went straight to a community college to be a, to be a teacher, um, a history teacher at that. And, um, but then, you know, life took a turn and I got pregnant, of course. And, you know, that put a delay on my career. And after that, it was just, I guess after that was like being a mom and then everything was just, you know, not, not going to according to plan. And so two years ago, um, this is my second year going into what well, going on th my third year, but about two years ago, um, becoming a para specialist educator, just kind of like, fall onto my feet. Um, my daughter actually um, was doing it before I was doing it. And um, then her agency needed more paras. And she was like, mom, you have experience, you know, on, you know, working with kids that are, you know, with kids and kids that have special needs due to one of my best friend's um, sister. Her son has very severe autism. So every now and then I help her with him. And, um, and then about five years ago, I got pregnant and ended up, and my, my daughter, who's five now, was born with Down syndrome. So that also um, kind of like gave me more experience and more perspective on doing what I'm doing now. And I just went for it. And at first, I, to be honest with you, at first, I wasn't sure if it was something that I can do or if it's something that I would probably want to stick with. But after I started and a few weeks in and I love it. And like right away, you know, I don't know, maybe it, I'm not sure if it, if it's due to mother instincts to due to I'm already a mom mm -hmm. where you can kind of like, you know, um, relate more, you know, and, you know, understanding the kids more, I suppose the, the youngsters. And I don't know. And then I guess for me, it's like, um, it's rewarding that you can kind of like make a difference in a kid's life by helping them of something that they, you know, never have time to be helped with and stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it really, but it's just, it's just a very, very a reward feeling to do what I do. And I, I feel like as much as I'm helping them, they're helping me. So I'm helping them to grow. But then at the same time, they're helping me to grow also as a, you know, to be 
a better person and a better you know educator for them. Yeah. Any advice that you would give um, somebody that would is interested in going into um, uh, being a paraspecialist? Yeah. A lot of patience, even to be just a regular teacher, you just have, you just really need to have a lot of patience, but being a para, yeah, it, it's, it takes up more than, than patient. It takes a lot, a lot of, um, I'm not sure that word that I'm looking for, um, a lot, you know, a lot of strength because sometimes, you know, you work with kids that are just where they just, you know, have a learning disability. But then you work with kids that had autism that where they have like, um, you know, tempers in them where they're hit, they'll kick you, they'll bite you, they'll spit at you, um, like all kinds of, you know, all kinds of ways where you just have to really be able to, you know, like you have, I guess the endurance of it, okay. of the job. Yeah. Because if you don't have the patient and you cannot endure certain things, I would have to say that being a paraspecialist is, would not be the job for you because you really have to have that patient with those kids. Yeah. And I think that's a great uh, way to transition into my next question, because I agree. I think your lived experience being who you are, um, I think that only makes you a better teacher and a, and a better paraspecialist, right? Having that heart for your child and that experience you have with your child, it only allows you to give that back to those same students within the classroom. And I think that's the same thing that goes to you, Larisha. Like, I love every single thing that you've said because it's important for us to show up as ourselves every single time, you know, to be authentic and to be, you know, real. You know, like our students deserve to see somebody that looks like them and that sounds like them, you know, not this cookie cutter version of what the world wants us to be. So let's talk about those students, you know, tell us about your students and the communities your schools are in. Um, my, um, the school, well, right now I'm not, um, I haven't been placed in a school yet because I'm actually working with an agency. I'm not actually with the actual school district, but in the last two years, I've been working with Alameda school district. So my last school was, I worked from, you know, pretty much kids from kinder to all the way to fifth grade. And, um, it's, um, because each kid, you know, is different. Each kid have their own personality and their own way of learning and listening and stuff like that. So for me, I'm just like Larisha. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't like pretend to be, you know, babe, I don't baby them, put it that way, because even though I like, you'll be surprised, like, even though they're young, I'm working with, you know, elementary kids. But their mind is very, very intelligent. They're like they, yes, they know when they, they know when you're when you're treating them differently. So with me, even though I know that I'm supposed to go into that classroom and work with this certain kid, I don't, I, I don't like you know, I don't put do it where like where like they're gonna feel like they're being singled out or feel different from the other kids. I actually go into that classroom and I actually work with the other kids that don't even need my help. So that way they, you know, they can see, oh, she's not in here helping me because, you know, because I have one student, he's a fourth grader. Um, and he was just like, you know, he asked me that question. He's like, why am I different? And I'm like, and I asked him, I go, what do you mean? He's like, why am I different? Why, why, why am not, why am I not smart like the other kids? Why can I do what, what the other kids do? And, you know, me as a mom, like hearing that is like, oh my God, like, no, you're not different. You know, you, you are you who you are. Is this what makes you unique? 
You know, I go, everybody is different. Don't come. I, you know, I would, you know, I'd be like, I, I go, you are very young. You know, you, there's, there's going to be a lot that you're going to learn and, and need to understand. But the best, you know, but I'm like, but, you know, but just remember, love being who you are and don't try to change yourself to be someone different. Because being you is what makes you unique and make you different, right? Because right. everybody's different. So, yeah, so it's, it's, that's something, you know, so being, not, not just me being a, te- uh, you know, like a, a teacher, but at the same time, I'm also ha- being a mom to them. Because it comes, it's, it's, it's really, um, it's really like, for me, it's like you thinking kids that goes to Alameda school, you know, that has parents that are, you know, well off and this and that. But I come to learn that's not even the case. Like I come to learn that those kids, even though they're young, they are going through things that to me, I feel like a young kid should, shouldn't even go through, you know, they, they got parents where like there's, you know, parents are separated. So they're like going from, you know, mom home to dad home. And I think being so young at that certain age, being in elementary, I can only imagine, you know, the toll it take on them having to bounce from mom house to dad's house. And then some of these kids where mom and dad, you know, the um, separation or divorce is not even on good terms. So these kids come to school. And they're acting out because they're, they're seeking attention. They want attention and they're not getting that attention, you know, that, that they need. So it affects their learning. And maybe it's not even necessarily acting out. It's just trying to find a way to express themselves, trying to find somebody who will just take the time to listen because nobody's listening. Nobody yes. sees them and they just want to feel seen. And it's like, even if I'm getting in trouble, mm-hmm. you know, somebody sees me finally. Um, Thank you for sharing that, Bunley. I want to redirect that to you as well, Larisha. You know, can you tell us about your students and the communities your schools are in? Definitely. Um, so I've had the pleasure of serving both sides of the school system where you have the federal funded program. I used to work for Head Start for six and a half years. And so now I've been working at a private school for six and a half years. Uh, my age group is three to four. And it's like, a different world, you know, like both sides. When I worked for Head Start, it was like I was more than a teacher to those kids, you know, and sometimes we had to be the doctor, we had to be the social worker, we had to be the lawyer, um, we had to advocate for them. Um, you know, that there was a lack in their families. And so, which is why they were coming to us. I would come home literally like exhausted. But in a good way, because I I knew what I was doing was affecting these, you know, making an impact on these children and the families, you know, and they would come to us with their um, with their problems or things that they may be going through and, you know, reaching out for help because they felt comfortable and they felt in in a safe space, you know. And um, now I work with uh, in a private school and then the the families that I serve, you know, are. I don't want to say privilege, but, you know, they don't have the struggle that the other families at the other school have, you know, so I'm seeing a different side. And like you mentioned before, these kids, you know, their parents work for a large corporation. So they're working all the time, you know, so we're at the, they're at the school, which is like a daycare to them, you know, and so um, they're not really getting attention with their families. Our center closes at six and we open at eight. 
So you just think about it. They're with us all day long from breakfast all the way to they have their, uh, their we call it tea time. So they have their little afternoon, evening snack. But then they get picked up at six and um, most of them are in bed by 8, 830. So they're not really spending a lot of time with their families. And then some, some of the families have to work on the weekends. So just to be able to see both of those sides and to be able to service them, being myself, being genuine, being authentic, and I'm still having that gift to be able to switch, you know, um, and just help them in the areas that they need. Um, yeah, so it's it's awesome. And it's also like, I feel like, so the families that I service don't look like me. The children don't look like me, but they still connect with me. You know, like I mentioned, they think I'm super cool and they love how I dress and they like my hair and just all the different things. And then my family's at Head Start, same thing, you know, it's so relatable. Um, so be up to be able to work in a diverse uh school system and then with families that look like me, it's um I appreciate it. And I'm sure some of those kids that aren't typically exposed to a woman that looks like you. Yes. So to get that up close and in person where it's not just an entertainer, it's not just somebody they listen to on the radio, that also makes a difference. Exactly, exactly. I also bring the real in the classroom, you know, like when we had like the George Floyd situation and things like that, you know, with the racial uh, systems and systemic um, racism, all those things like children are, are, they can adapt and learn in any environment if you teach them. And if you teach them on their level where they can understand. So when we were going through all of that um, and it was like, right, you know, during COVID and everything, um, I would like read some stories or like some of them already heard about it from their parents. And we would like have conversations. What do you think this means? Do you know who that is? You know, um, every black history. And I try to not like just do it in February, but throughout the school year, just drop little gems on who these um, significant black people are that made an impact in our country, in our world, you know? And so, um, yeah, they're, they're learning in those ways, but I always try to make sure that I'm exposing them to some of, you know, my culture so they can understand, they can learn and not feel like, um, if it's different from them, like it's wrong or, you know, if they just don't know about it, they may have questions, but they don't know anybody to go to, to ask these questions. So I try to be that person, that teacher for them. You know, I have to say, I find it fascinating that you touched on both, like now that you've worked and experienced both the, would it be called the private sector for school, I guess, and then also the federal uh, or the public sector. I find it interesting that you have challenges facing both of them. Even the the current affluent um, daycare, essentially, you're saying they're not spending time with their families because their families are working basically the majority of the time and and that in itself is a huge problem yes. you know so you can have all the money in the world but that's not having sit down face-to-face family time that can be that can create problems later on as kids get older um because they don't have anyone to look up to or to ask questions to um so Obviously, we know the challenges that public schools or underfunded schools face. We're now learning about the problems that, you know, more affluent schools may potentially face. What do you guys think is the most pressing issue facing the education system as a whole right now? If you if you can pinpoint maybe one or two things, what would that be? For the public schools, I say the lack of resources. Um, you know, they don't have all the funding that a private school may have. Um 
like I mentioned, I worked on both sides. So I could see like we're only limited to certain things with the federal government because they're issuing it and we can't have um, a certain amount of kids because it's a wait list, you know, things like that. But with the private sector, it's like the money can be like endless to the point where it's like we don't know what to do with the money. You know, like where should this money go? Where should that go? But you don't see that in the public system. It's always super tight or they're always lacking something. Wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I totally, totally agree with um, Larisha as far as when it comes to public school. Um, it is the lack of resource. Um, like, you know, for me, it's like, you know, doing what I do, they just don't have enough resource to the point where I'm not sure, you know, if it's within their budget or not. That's why I'm really shocked when it comes to Alameda District that they don't have enough resource when it comes to, you know, um, having enough paras for kids who have IEPs. And I, it's, it's, it's crazy because, you know, there's so many kids in, 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 in a public school that have IEP. Most kids that have, you know, that have IEPs in public school anyway. So I don't understand how, you know, they never ever have enough resource of, having enough paras for every single public school to work with these kids. And like on my first, um, at my first school, I was working in the resource department with the IEP kids and I was the only resource para in, in that department. For those of us that don't know, what is an IEP? IEP are kids that has um, special needs, kids that have learning disabilities and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then they pair you guys with the, with the IEP class or, or students. Okay. Yes. And it stands for individual education plan. Yes. For that child. Yeah. Thank okay. you, Larissa. <laughs> no problem. And so I'm dealing, you know, I'm, I'm here working with about 28 kids and there's only six hours of school in a day to have that many kids that I have to work with that require more than just more than 20 minutes on my time. But due to I have so many kids in a day, I'm only able to step into their classroom and be with them for no more than like 20, about 15 to 20 minutes. And if they're lucky, if, you know, if a kid is absent, then I get to spend a little bit more time with, you know, certain kids. To me, that's not enough because some kids really require a one-on-one para to be in that classroom with them pretty much all day in order for them to even stay focused, to even get for them to get their work done. And, you know, so that's the reason why, like, when I see that, I'm like, I, I feel really bad because I'm like, you know, and especially when I have to leave them, they're like, they're like, no, Miss Tammy, where are you going? And I'm just like, I have to, you know, I have to go to my next class now. I have to work with another student. They're like, but I can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. And like, you, you know, and there's nothing that I can do about it. And then, you know, but feel so bad for them. Yeah. And I don't have a choice, but I have to move on to my next kid because if any kids that have IEP, if we don't spend the goal time that is on their IEP, it's it's not good for the district, <laughs> put it that way. So, yeah, that that's it's just like Larissa say, it's when it comes to public school, there's just not enough resource. Yeah. And what I do love is that you may not have the resources, but you guys are planting seeds of hope, right? Yes. You're planting a hope and you're finding creative ways to do things despite not having those resources. Like I'm literally, uh, the whole time we've been talking, I have two teachers that keep coming to mind that I just keep thinking about. I have one, uh, my second grade teacher, Miss Bush, 
will never forget that woman and my fifth grade teacher, Miss Allen. And she came up with a term called DWOC, which means different ways of knowing. And I went to inner city schools, you know, my whole childhood. So I think her teaching us DWOC was her way of saying, even though we don't have the resources, we're still going to figure it out. Right. So what I want to know is, how do you figure it out? As teachers, I want to start with you, Larisha. How do you figure it out? How do you address those issues while you're teaching if you don't have it? What do you do? Uh, well, first, I always go to the administration, you know, and see what it, what can we do? Is there a way that we can uh, make this happen? Or, you know, um, and then oftentimes if the answer is, oh, we just don't have it, then I have to come out of my own pocket because I, I want to see these kids thrive and I want them to have experience and I don't want the resources to be the reason why they can't be learned to their fullest uh, potential. So oftentimes I've had to spend my own money, you know, or bring my own books in or, you know, create fun ways for them to learn. And, and I'm going to be honest. Sometimes it's like, I've got a lot of pushback sometimes like, Oh, this is not a part of our curriculum or, um, you know, it, it, I felt it aligned and it was important, but you know, that it, I got pushed back for that. There are guardrails like that. Is there any way of getting around it? Or is it just a constant conversation that you have to have, especially with trying to implement new, new teaching methods? I mean, it's a constant conversation because when you think about admin, either they've never worked in the, worked in the classroom, they've never taught, or either they've taught long time ago, you know, and as we know, things evolve, education and ways of learning and, um, you know, children have different disabilities and uh, special rights. So it's like you have to be able to adapt to be able to service all the children and not just, you know, a certain child or everyone's different. So if if I can figure out a way to help everyone understand what I'm trying to teach them, understand this curriculum, and I go to admin and they're telling me, oh, no, we can't do that or or whatever then it's like, sometimes I'm a little rebel. Sometimes I got to push the envelope. <laughs> and I'm going to just give a quick example. Um, one time we had, and I did this annually for, this would have been the fifth year, uh, something called One Love Day. And it's on Valentine's Day, but we don't call it Valentine's Day. And actually a child came up with this. I read a book by Bob Marley's uh, daughter called one love and in the end of the story they were at the end and they were all united as a community under a tree and it said one love so i was like this is cool and one of my students said we should have a one love party and from then on every year i had this one love party and everybody knew miss larisha's class Come on. on valentine's day was having this party that's a place to be <laughs> yes and so we would get the kids involved they would make stuff we would have the parents uh donate different things or whatever and then admin was like you need to they try to change it oh could you not do this can we not because we weren't calling it valentine's day so you can't say that they were giving me so much pushback that i almost felt discouraged like you know yeah. like but I'm like, they're not in the classroom. And every every family looks forward to this when their kids come to my class. So, yeah. Well, thank you for being that teacher. Oh, of course. Because they're never going to forget that one love party. They're going to be talking about this party 20 years from now with their right. kids. You know, we used to have this one club party back in the day. Let me tell you guys, those are the moments. Like, that's what I'm saying. I still remember school dances in seventh grade, yep. you know, the sock hops. Yeah, exactly. We had a sock hop to a fifth grade, yes. 
That is adorable. But you know what? But that's a fair point because Candy Marie, you were talking about your, you said second and fifth grade, right? Yes. I mean, you think about it. People were like, do you, rem- how much do you remember from that time? You know, once you get into a full adulthood, but you still remember there's things and that just stuck with you. Can I tell you, Miss Bush, out of all of my teachers, I was that kid that like me and my family, like that prior to going to foster care, she was that teacher that gave a damn that that didn't have to. Like she would take me in the back of the class and wash me up and put clothes on from the lost and found on me. Like she didn't have to do those things. And I think that's what makes teachers like you two stand out the most. They're going above and beyond to do things for these kids that need it. You know, even smiling, you know, um, asking them how they're doing, how their, their day is. Like for me, I will never forget that woman. And she planted seeds in me that still to this day, like confidence that I take with me and I carry it on throughout my life. So again, we cannot say thank you enough. You're welcome. Don't stop. Keep giving administration pushback. <laughs> Keep being the rebel. We like this. Right, right. <laughs> we often hear teachers are like, no, I got to come out of pocket. I got to do this. I got to do that. And we cannot thank you enough for that because you do not have to do it. It's not a have to, but you want to do it. So with that, also, we have to bring in the family dynamic here where we do have parents that are involved, right? How have you guys seen parents engage with your classrooms and your, um, so like, Larisha, you were saying how parents look forward to the party, the one love party, just as much as the kids do. How do you guys see parents engaging in the education system with you guys and with their children? Um, They often ask, um, and I'm grateful. They often ask how they can help. You know, they don't have the time to actually um, spend time in the classroom, but they're always open to like donating things, you know? So I take that opportunity like, oh, if you're willing to donate pizzas for the party or if we need some magnetiles, you know, some of them are cracked or whatever. Um, and then oftentimes I'll just say it to one parent and it'll spread like wildfire. And they'll, next thing you know, everyone in our classroom will come with something, you know. So I'm appreciative of that, that they will step up when we ask for support. Okay. And Bunlan? Well, with me, it's a bit different. Um, what I do is is not um, work because I can't really engage with um, my students' parents. That's not, um, that's not part of what um, a para is allowed to do. Um, so basically, if I have any um, anything, any concerns, I just relay it to um, my student teacher and I would ask my student teacher to, um, you know, send an email to the parents and let the parents know um, of any concern I have or any question that I would have. Um, and I think that's one of the downfall of being a para is like you work with the kid every day, Monday through Friday and, um, you know, six days a week. And so, you know, you come to, you come to, to learn who they are or, you know, or what needs they need. And they start to become, become comfortable with you. So they open up and they tell you things, but yet I'm not allowed to raise any concern that is going on with, you know, with my students. Why is that? Is it a legal matter or? I, I don't know. I, I don't know the reason why I have asked that question. I was just like, I was like, you know, if I'm working with this kid, Every day, why is it that I can't have any communication 
you know, with the with my students' parents as far as like if they're, you know, because I have had some of my student parents, you know, um, come up to me and be like, oh, you know, how is so-and-so doing? But I am forbidden to answer any question they have for me in regarding about their, their, their kids. So I think that's one of the hard part of my job is not being able to just go ahead and have direct communication with my student parents. It's a bit different than Larisha. Like I can do things with my kids at school. Like I could, you know, I can reward them if, you know, if I choose to reward them for doing such a good job, which is how I work with my students. Like you don't realize like the effect that we think we have on them, but we do. And um, I didn't realize it, to be honest with you, I didn't realize it until my fifth graders um, who graduated and the last day, you know, um, the last day of school, they brought me gifts and they wrote me a letter. And one of my students, um, he's, a, you know, he wrote me, he wrote a letter to me. He's all like, he tells me, he's all like, thank you so much, you know, um, for your patience, for your understanding um, and to ne- and that you never give up on me. Because like, you know, because the students were like, they're like, they feel like when they're not smart enough, they're just like, oh, like, why should I care about school? Why should I do this? Why should I do that? I'm like, no. You know, you are important and you will, you know, learn what you need to learn as long as you apply yourself to it and just work hard. So, so like, that's, it's like, to me, that was like so touching, but then like, I'm just like, oh, but I, you know, I wish I could do more, but I just can't. That's the one thing that I find hard in my job is not being able to do more for my kids than what I really want to, because due to, I'm limited to it. Yeah. So. Yeah, which I, that part I never understand either. I'm just like, it is like me being their second teacher because I am working with them and I am, you know, teaching them, you know, the learning. Yet my voice, my opinion can only go to um, the re- the reports case manager or talk to their teacher. But other than that is I can't go out of that, you know. Is it, is it safe to say that that's something that you would want to change? Yes, I, I do. I just think that if we are able to go ahead and have that direct communication with the, you know, with the student that we work with, um, along with their parents, I just, because we, we are the one that get to know them because the reg, you know, the teacher, that's the reason why we step into that classroom because honestly, without the para going into a classroom where a teacher have, you know, um, a student that required, you know, a para, um, assistance, mm-hmm. the teacher will not be able to teach the classroom. They, they, they will not be able to run their classrooms, um, you know, smoothly. And the, the other part too is not having the teacher being able to communicate with us and like to where we can really talk to them. But thank goodness, um, I, you know, I haven't had that problem, you know, yet. I have always been able to communicate with my students teacher and they're always so helpful and they always try to come up with certain, you know, um, also help me to come up with certain things. So when I, whenever I tell them something, they, you know, they become my voice. Okay. You form like a partnership. Yes. With, um, with, with my, my student teacher. Yes. Okay. Which is great, which is great. And you guys can create change together. That support makes a difference. You know, having somebody that can support you and partner with you is, is so important. So Larisha, if you could change one thing about the way we teach children, what would it be? It would be how we teach children. Um, just understanding that it's not just a book, you know, like you can open a book or show them a chart. Um, it's also learning through experiences. Um, the school that I teach at currently um, is based on that. And so I've, I've just got a whole another scope of how children learn. And we put out materials 
and they go for it. They use their imaginations. And um, like I said, we don't have charts. We don't have alphabet charts, number charts. They're not writing their names. But eventually they get to that because, you know, it will be age appropriate. But now they learn to play. So just educators understanding there's just other ways to uh, for kids to get education. And it's just not by the book. It's by experience. And we know that as adults, you know, like everything we learned in school or even college, sometimes we don't even apply that. It's our life experiences that help us navigate through this journey. So. Yep. I have not used a day of geometry. Never. I just want to say that. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Mena, we got some pretty cool uh, segments coming up. <laughs> we do. Let's talk about your experience with Up Together, this phenomenal organization. Uh, you were both excited to join Up Together and to be paired in a group with other people, but you faced some very unique challenges. How did you overcome those challenges? Uh, well, I will say for. Because Tammy and I were in the same group. And so she initially reached out to the group, you know, because they encouraged like engagement and things like that, meetups. And so no one was responding. And I'm like, well, I wanted to meet up too. But I, you know, at the time I just didn't initiate it. So I'm thankful that Tammy did. And so when she reached out, no one was saying anything. But I reached back, you know, I was like, oh, I'm interested. So we kind of exchanged information. And then from there, and that started like two years ago, right, Tammy? Yes. Yeah. So from there, we, you know, we, she would call me like, oh, I have, I, I need to, I have a question about Up Together or did you get this or whatever. We would ask questions with each other. And then um, we hadn't talked in forever. And so when I saw that they um, had an opportunity to join a podcast, I instantly was like, Tammy, you want to get on? You know, <laughs> um, you know, so. Yeah, I, I've had an awesome experience with Up Together. Yeah, same here. I um, when I when I first applied, I, I I did first. I was just like, okay, what is this program about? What is you know? So um, then I after um, I apply, and then they send us more information regarding about it. I was just like, okay, and so I was like, you know, one it, it was the um, being able to receive some, you know, receiving that you know that fund every month, where it was really became really helpful for me to. Either I can use that towards my bills, towards my rent, or towards gas, or towards food, and it really helped out a lot. And then after that, um, you know, they start sending us um, emails regarding about, you know, how to reach out to your members and stuff like that. So for me, it wasn't, it, um, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it wasn't just about receiving the fund. I was also really interested on, you know becoming more part of the community of where I live and um, to also meet new people. Cause I, that, I love meeting new people. I, like I say, I'm really outgoing and down to earth. So like meeting new people, being friendly is the, one of my things. So I start reaching out to my group and um, I was just like, okay, you know, I'm like, you know, cause to me, you know, I always be like, okay, everybody have their own busy life. You know, being parents is not easy. You'll always, you know, get stuck doing something and, whatnot turned out that Larisha was the only one that reached back out and I also believe it was another member of our group I think her name was La if I'm not wrong I think it was Latoya or Latanya I'm not sure but she did respond to one of the email I sent out to the whole group but she just never really um when I would respond back um you know it, she never really like kind of like um kept you know respond back the way Larisha did 
Mm-hmm. So I was just like, okay. So I was just like, okay, you know, I can't, because I would always try to be like, hey, you know, I know that, you know, we're all busy. We have our own you know, life, you know, this and that, but I would love it if, you know, if we can either meet up in person because due to at the time, you know, the pandemic was still really, you know, not good. So, you know, that play a part of it, I which I which I totally understood. But I was just like, you know, we can, you know, I, you know, I can create a Zoom link where we all can, you know, meet up in Zoom just so we can, you know, see see each other and relate to one another. And I I think that's the, the only one thing where I'm just like, I'm like, oh, man, such a, you know, such a bummer. Like, I really wanted to, like, meet my whole group. And but you know what? At the end, I'm really grateful that, you know, Larisha, you know, t- t- took the time to also wanted to connect with a member. So I'm grateful for her, you know, and we and th- it comes to find out we have such similar stories yes. of what we do as our professional career and what, you know, we're both mothers. So we know the struggles of life. And it, it and then, you know, it helps me to know that I'm not alone when it comes to struggling financially or struggling for, you know, what life give us. Right. So I'm just like, so I'm, I'm really, really, you know, grateful that I joined up together and I'm able to continue to be a part of up together. And, you know, and like, I was like um, telling Lynette, I was just like, I would love to like do some volunteer work and, you know, to work with, you know, up together or to just do anything that has to do with, you know, helping the community. I know we have a segment called Free Game. Um, Jenna, you want to tell us about Free Game? All right, ladies. This is our guest's opportunity to go ahead and spit a little game. Tell a little uh, a little something, something to whether it's community organizers, your politicians, um, you know, your administrators or anyone that you feel needs to be kind of nudged. <laughs> To put it in a nice way, kind of be like, hey, you need to hear this. You go ahead and give that advice. So, Larisha, let's start with you. Oh, I have some game for just the city of Oakland, the mayor. This crime out here is is not okay. You know, like, I don't feel safe coming home. I don't feel safe leaving. I have an African-American son, um, 19 years old, and he is going to college in New Orleans. And I feel more safer with him being in New Orleans and him being in Oakland. Um, I also mm-hmm. have a daughter and they, her and her bonus mom were um, victims of a, a robbery. And so like once it hits home, it's personal, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I just wish that they would do something about this crime, um, do something about the um, homeless population, if the unhoused community, if we could get resources for them. Um, the school, OUSD funding for that, um, food programs. We know we are in a, re- we, I might as well say we're in a recession. Everything is so expensive and yeah. the price of food is ridiculous. So if we can Ooh, get it. Let's talk about it. Housing and food and protection from the police, the community. Like, I feel like we need all of that right now in the worst way. Like we need it. So that's my game. That's my two cents. Come on, game. Right? City of Oakland, listen up. <laughs> Folks that are elected, listen yes. up. Yes. I am so game with Larisha. It's 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 so true. I mean, when it comes to politician, you know, it's you know, you go onto this, you know, like um whatever, you know, like like the social media. You know, people's always, you know, when if something happens, how they you know, how they make it as 
it become racial, which it, it, it bothers me because it's like, why does it always have to be a racial thing? You know? And, and then I think for me, what really, um, hit home the most for me was when the whole, um, attack thing on the, on the Asian community, the, the, the Asian, um, you know, the elderly Asian men, woman, that one really hit me hard because I'm Asian. Yeah. And, um, it was an everyday thing that was happening and nothing was being done about it. Mm-hmm. You know, these elderly women and men, you know, walking in the street, just mind their own business, just, you know, they're out there getting their little exercise and they're being attacked. And some of them, you know, is some of them became fatal where it's just like, it was just like a, such a senseless act by, by hatred, you know, that's the only way I can, I, I, I can put it. And, but even though, it's happening, but like, I don't have any, you know, um, hatred towards any different type of colors. I'm just like, why? Why does it have to happen? Why is there not enough resource out there where people that we vote for that is not doing anything about it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what? All of that was well received. Um, we feel you, Bun Lun. Uh, thank you for saying all of the things today on today's episode. Thank you for having me. Thank you, ladies, so much for, you know, dropping all these nuggets. And uh, that's what the Moving Up Together podcast is all about. We want to create conversations where we can move up together. All right. We did it. That's another great episode of the books, Mena. Yes, it is. Ladies, thank you so much. Moving Up Together was created by the national nonprofit Up Together and produced by Creative Differences. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.